Hey guys, it's Rebecca. I just wanted to let you know, in case you didn't, that we recently launched my first fragrance. I'm so proud of it. I think the smell is amazing. I created it for you, for me, and uh, it doesn't actually involve any compromises. It's vegan, sulfate and phthalate free, cruelty free. My goal was to create something that marked all your milestone moments, but that didn't compromise your and others' health. And it's environmentally friendly with sustainable packaging. So head over to my website, RebeccaMinkoff.com, and check out my first fragrance. Hi, everyone. It's Rebecca. You're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Susan McPherson, the founder of McPherson Strategies, which uh, makes sure that companies who want corporate and social responsibility programming can optimize that and get the best results. She has incredible clients. She has a book coming out, which she shares with me in this episode, uh, all about connectivity and just helping people and how that also helps you. So take a listen. I am here with the lovely Susan McPherson. We met at a potluck dinner. Way back when. Way back when. Um, she owns and runs McPherson Strategies. Will you tell my listeners what you do? Yeah. I mean, there's never never a same day, um, but I run a consultancy that focuses on social impact and corporate responsibility. And I founded the company at the grand old age of 48, and I just turned 55, and we're going strong. Wow. So when people hear the words corporate and social responsibility, why is that important? Sure. And why do people also need to shift it from like, this is something that's going to make me money to like, I just have to actually do things that are going to help? Well, it's actually not. Those two don't need to be separate. And that's a misnomer. There's an assumption among brands and companies um, that for years, if you put money into philanthropy and environmental, um, you know, slowing your your use of carbon fuels and packaging and things um, and, you know, treating your employees with dignity and uh, being inclusive would actually cost a company more. And as we in the last five years have seen by numerous studies, that's actually not the case. And because it pay, you will be paid back in uh, loyalty from your existing employees. You will attract better employees who will stay longer and you will attract customers that may or may not have considered you in the first place. So I think if I can do one thing is state for the record that, yes, there are certainly typical startup costs because you, you need to learn new behaviors and you need to set up systems to adapt um, to, let's say, lower use of carbon um, offsets and, and as well as, you know, limiting package sizes and determining what your brand should align with what cause and and those 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 take time and money and energy but on the back end if you do the investment up front it will pay back dividends and i think we are living in a world now where we are realizing that we are so interconnected with the rest of the planet and the rest of the world. And therefore, we know that if climate issues are affecting where our product is being manufactured, inevitably, it's going to affect the product, which is going to affect the sales cycle. Right. So it's not like we can say, oh, that problem's over there and we don't have to deal with it. Right. And what inspired you to create this at the youthful age of 48? <laughs> 
Um, because uh, it was a just a stopgap until I found the next thing. Uh, I hung a shingle up because a couple of organizations said, Susan, if you leave the firm you're at, we will hire you for an consulting engagement. So I left on a Friday and I started on a Monday because I figured they changed their mind. And so I never took any holiday time, which was kind of a mistake in retrospect. However, and I was terrified. I had had a paycheck since I was 15. And the thought of going on my own without any kind of, you know, rich husband or, you know, family uh, handout, I literally was kind of like, well, wait, you know, what am I going to do? And I kept thinking, well, if it fails, I can go back to waitressing. I waitressed in college and made a lot of money. <laughs> or I could walk dogs. But in essence, it was it was just a stopgap. And then um, I feel really blessed that the business kept coming in and the team that I surrounded myself with in, are, are still all in place. And and I think also the world and young people have, have made a point to look for um, – companies and, and adhere and, and invest in companies that are making these types of things a priority. Yeah. So one of the things I realized after I launched Female Founder Collective was I assumed security for me was always like, oh, I have to have X amount in the, in the bank and I'll feel secure. But when I launched something and started it and saw it have success, I was like, security is actually the ability to start from nothing again and know, just have the confidence of like, if all of this went away, I could, like you said, you could be a waitress or you could, mm-hmm. if it goes away, like you, this sense of confidence of like, I can go do something and I'll be okay. And that was really a transformative for me. I don't know if you felt like when you started something, you're like, oh my God, I'm going to be successful. Yeah. But I had never done anything on my own. Right. Um, what I had to kind of go deep inside myself is realize that, you know, for years working in corporate America, I ran projects and small P&Ls internally. So I had to kind of put myself in the mindset that, wait, you have done this. You've just done it with a shell over you, right. which had its advantages. But we also know had for, for a woman who was working in, in corporate America in the 90s, that proverbial glass ceiling. I mean, I'm tiny. I'm, you know, my license says I'm five foot, but um, my head had hit that glass ceiling and it wasn't going through. So right. I think um, many, many women certainly, and, and I see we're seeing a lot of women of color. I mean, you know, doors are being shut. And if you want to do something meaningful, it's almost like you've got to go start it on your own. Yeah. So good for you. And and as a FFC member, I, I am loving it. And I can't wait to see what's coming next. I can't wait to announce what's coming next. Ooh, ooh, well, maybe you'll break it here. <laughs> <laughs> So what what types of unexpected challenges did you face when you launched? Um, I had to learn Excel <laughs> and I had to learn QuickBooks. And, you know, as someone, and I hate to admit this, but, you know, I was that girl that was always bad at math. And, Same. And for me, I would always just make sure I had enough money in the bank so I didn't have to balance my checkbook. Do you remember years ago having to, like, deal with balancing a checkbook? Oh, I hated that. No, but as long as you knew there was enough, you right. didn't have to, like, every month reconcile. I can't, I don't even think I ever, like, somebody did it for me, some, like, my brother or something. But, um, so. So yes, coming to the, the the notion that I would have to do that. But I think honestly, in in the last six years, the biggest realization, which which actually is a, is a is a good thing, is 
this world of humans that I've collected, like people that I absolutely adore and love and trust and go to when I need advice or when I need a door open. Or if I feel like, you know, in, in the consulting world, um, it you know, you have ebbs and flows, right? You have times where things are flush and then other times when you're like, oh my God, how am I going to make payroll? How am I going to make payroll? But there's people that, you know, if I put out to the world, hey, I'm having, you know, I need to get some new business in. Do you have ideas? Literally, they will go out and make rain, I guess is probably the old way of saying it. But there's something really magical when you realize that people people have your back. Yeah. But I also think it's your demeanor. Like you're definitely like, I'm saying this because I know you, Not you're not, I'm not meeting you for the first time here, but I think there's a way in which you treat people that makes them want to help you, you know? That's good. And (laughs) I I think it might be a moment to share. I have some exciting news. Tell me. Um, After two years of putting together the proverbial book proposal, it got picked up. Wow. And a pub date of February 2021 with McGraw-Hill. Awesome. And it is actually all about how it's meaningful connections that really make business successful and make our lives fully enriched. And it's leading with how you can help rather than how you can get things from people. That has been at least my roadmap. And I think, um, and I'm going to be showcasing others who who um, exhibit that and has led to a good, good percentage of their success. Totally. I always go back to this woman who didn't have to take me to anything. You know, she took me out to every party she was invited to and invite and introduced me to everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's how I made my first network in New York because I didn't know anybody. Right, right. And paying it forward does a, goes a, very far. It does. And, you know, long after the numbers on Instagram and the numbers on Twitter that matter today in 20 years, who knows what the platform's going to be. But it's the people and it's the doors that you've opened. It's the ears you've opened. It's the it's the hugs you've given. That is what really is is the mover and shaker, at least in my view. I, I agree. I even had this realization and don't get me wrong. I know that my company does a lot on social and it's part of our world. No, And you need to be. Yeah. But like I spent an hour one night just going down the feed and I was like, did I get anything from consuming all these images, except I felt a little worse about myself and I felt like I was not invited to a lot of parties. And I was like, did it help me in my career? And what you're saying is true. Like it's these people, right? It's humans doing things for you, not like you consuming images of a life that's fake. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 you know, notoriously you put out the good images rather than, you know, the, the real images. And, and, you know, frankly, I, you know, I don't have children, but I have you know, hundreds of friends who do. And I worry because we're equipped to deal with that feeling of FOMO, right? I mean, we, we can kind of like put it into context, but when you're 13 and you see that, you know, how do you, how do you contextualize that? Well, you just don't get a phone. Right. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> My kids are not getting their phones until they're 16. Okay, good. I tell this story. I'm like, I had a phone that was locked in the car and you could only turn it on for an emergency because you were charged by like, even if it was on. Like oh, I sound wow. like... My parents are like, we walked 12 miles. Yeah, yes. Like I had a phone that was locked in a car. Oh my goodness. Uh, so my kids are like, all right. Yeah, all right. we'll see. People keep saying, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We may not even be using phones when they get right. to be Right, we'll just be computer chips. Yeah, that yeah. You'll like, I, our... I, you know, you'll raise your finger and it will automatically <laughs> speed dial you in air. <laughs> my God, scary. So you you mentioned at um, just under five feet, you bucking against the glass ceiling. What was like the worst thing that happened? How did you keep hitting it and mm. 
Well, I had been for years, believe it or not, 17 years of my life with a company called PR Newswire. And I there was a five-year stint in the middle where I worked in, uh, in, in technology doing marketing and business development. I lived in Seattle for many of those years. And um, I was often told in the 90s I was too loud, I was too abrasive, I was too assertive, which is all the things we now tell women to be more of, right? And, and probably even more shocking so because I'm so tiny, but I, I think growing up, it would be the only way I'd get noticed you know, is if I open my mouth, right? Because no one would see me. I mean, uh, in fifth grade, I got a D in conduct. I remember I like, besides all the tears, the horror, the embarrassment, but now it's like, wait, that like in today's world, that would be great, right? It meant like I was standing up for myself. But um, notoriously at that company, it was a, it was par- our parent to PR Newswire was a British company and it was notoriously all male in the, in the boardroom, all C-suite executives were men and white men. Um, and there was literally one woman who made it to the, you know, the, the C-suite within PR Newswire. And she's a wonderful human being, but I'll never forget she was so stoic and so quiet and one of those persons in a boardroom which would put the fear of God in everybody because she wouldn't say anything, you know? And so even the men sitting around would be looking at her going, what is she thinking? What is she? And I realized I was the polar opposite, but she was able to get through. And so it kind of dawned on me that I wasn't made for that world. And I think, you know, had I had other alternatives then, or at least I, had I had the network I do today, it would have been a lot easier to find something at the time that perhaps I would have been able to, to thrive and break that glass ceiling. Yeah. But it was apparent that that wasn't the case. Now, that's not to say, you know, I was there for 17 years. I learned incredible skills. I got to do, I got to open up our offices in China. I got to create products and services. I got to fly all over. Um, so it wasn't bad, but it was like if I wanted to make that, you know, bigger paycheck um, and have a bigger title. Uh, you know, I left with a vice president title, but if I wanted stock, you know, that that's when the ceiling shut. And would you say, would you ever, being that you were outspoken, like call them out on it and what would happen? Oh, well, there weren't, but you didn't have the vehicles you do today, right? You know, I think now we have, you know, we have numerous channels. We can write a piece on LinkedIn. We can post something on Twitter. You know, we can, we can write an article and put it on Medium. We can call the New York Times. I mean, back then there was literally the only way you could do it is, you know, is trying to like voice for yourself. Um, You didn't have the ability to, to, I mean, I was, using fax machines in the 90s to like communicate with people in other offices. I mean, it's a, it was a very different world. Right. Yeah. So we, so how do you think people today should utilize those channels? I think today, and we're seeing it, I mean, we're seeing people in companies when, you know, there's issues like Me Too or when somebody is being, um, you know, when, when racism is existing or when, you know, uh, just poor hiring decisions, you have employees speaking up. Um, you know, just this past year when employees found out, and I'm, I'm failing to, think, to, to recall the name of the, the company that sold beds to ICE, you had company, you had the employees of the companies walk out because they didn't want their company to be doing such a thing. Right. And so, you know, and you had, you know, people putting out tweets and saying, this is bad. We are not going to, we are not going to stay employees here. And, you know, we have a demise of unions in this country. So you see employees becoming far more active mm-hmm. and actually leveraging power. Many of them own stock in the company they work for. Right. So in your consulting uh, yes. with the companies you work with, how do you even begin to take a corporate beast and get them to think about whether it's climate related or social impact 
and begin to make changes? Because as a company, it can seem daunting sometimes. Sure, sure. Um, well, you know what? I have to say companies are pretty much like they're in the know. Okay. Um, you have very few major companies, certainly in the Fortune 1000, that aren't making this a priority. Um, I used to almost say it was a nice to have. Now it is a must have. Where I think we're seeing companies that aren't being bold and taking risks and stepping up are more startups and midsize. And it may be because, you know, they just don't have the long-term experience. Right. They also don't have some of the regulations. Um, clearly, any company that sells anything in Europe has to abide by European climate policies. Okay. So right there, they're going to be more um, almost progressive in terms of, of environmental policies than the traditional American company. And I think, you know, so, so for me, you know, some of our largest clients are Salesforce, Dell, Tiffany, Cognizant. These companies are putting a lot of emphasis on moving towards a, you know, a sustainable future. Mm-hmm. Um, and 90% of companies um, in, the cor- in, the, in the Fortune 1000 report annually sustainability reports. I mean, 20 years ago, that was, you know, 5%. I mean, right. So it's more daunting if you think about the companies that inherently their business is not sustainable when you think of a Chevron or a Shell um, or an ExxonMobil. So one thing I personally struggle with, and I and I haven't settled the answer for myself, and I think I know the answer maybe, but it's, I don't know. So we, we, we recently went for free, not for any other reason of, it wasn't because PETA was like badgering me. Right. Um, it was more just, it felt like we weren't, we weren't making any goods anyways that had it. And I just said, okay, we don't have to continue, but we're making goods now that are made out of things that are far worse for the environment. So we might be harming an animal, right? Yeah. But when it goes into the landfill, it totally is gone in a year. And now I'm making fake fur, which is plastic and it's getting into our fish. So what would you... Which means it ends up on our dinner plate. Correct. And in our intestines. Yeah. So I'm, I think the answer is I don't make any, I won't make anything that's fake, right? Yeah. Fake yeah. fur. Yeah. But how do you deal with companies or how do you deal with people who are even struggling with like the uh, hypocritical nature of some of this stuff? Right. Or like I watch an incredible documentary on plastic. I'm like dying. And then I go home and I'm like, I'm never going to have plastic again. And then my groceries come and it's all wrapped in plastic. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I give up. This is too hard. Like what I have to carry around mason jars with me everywhere. I know. And I mean, you're, you're, I mean, I'm certainly old enough to remember when people just didn't carry around bottles. Like when you got thirsty, you'd go to the tap or, you know, the the kitchen sink and fill your water glass. Although now, you know, we know there's lead and water and everything. You know, I think this is, this is this, I think this is going to be the question of the next decade. It's like, you know, what can everybody be doing? Yep. And, you know, we often say one small action a day is not enough. But if everyone was doing one small action, it would make a huge difference. Yep. So I think, number one, you need to step back and not beat yourself up. Um, you're doing 100, maybe 95 percent more than your, you know, the previous generation did right? And your kids are going to do 95% more than you're doing, right? I mean, it's, if they have a planet. Well, yes. <laughs> um, and this is the only time in my life that I finally am actually happy I don't have children. Like because, when Nashville becomes an island, yes, right? Yes, and Florida sinks <laughs> and the Maldives. I always tell my friends, get to the Maldives soon because they're going to be gone. But I, I will say that I'm a pragmatist. I, 
you know, I, I brought up Exxon and I brought up Shell, but I drive a car. So, you know, for me, I can only criticize them so much. Right. right. And the fact that you stop selling fur is huge and it should be commended. And yes, OK, so the alternative isn't ideal, but you're going to figure out and it's actually you're thinking about it. Right. Meaning you're already doing more than probably most apparel manufacturers do at all. Right. Um, so I think we just need to like give ourselves, we need to give ourselves a break, but we also need to do whatever we can be doing. And we need to patronize the brands that we believe are doing the right thing. Right. Some of the things like when you started, you had to learn QuickBooks or <laughs> Excel. What would you say were some of the skills that that gave you the tenacity or some of the life experiences that made you have the tenacity to like either learn a new skill or keep going during those dry periods? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, my tenacity began when I was 20 because my mom was killed in a hotel fire. And it was on New Year's Eve in 1986. Oh and God. it was, you know, I mean, everybody suffers grief, believe me. I mean, and if they haven't yet, I hate to say this, you know, loss is in, it's part of being human. But to learn something so tragic at such a, and so unbelievable, you know, it's something, it's like the thing of nightmares, right? Yeah. You know, because as a little girl, I, you know, that fear your mother isn't going to come home. Awful. And, you know, when I was, my dad used to tease me, um, I was the youngest and he would be, I'd be like, where's mom? You know, I'd be like three or four and he'd be like, she's on the moon. And I would literally think she was on the moon and she wasn't coming home. So to have her, you know, like die in a hotel fire when she wasn't even staying at that hotel was a... It was probably, you know, resiliency 101, right? You survive something like that to, you know, the most beautiful part of your life, your your mother, and um, and to carry on. And and it honestly has gotten me through a divorce, the death of my father, you know, losses of jobs, losses of friends, starting over numerous times. So I think after all of that, starting a business should have been like, oh, big deal, right? I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't, but, you know, we, we all learn. And I think there is something to be said about starting a business when you're older. You know, you have a lot of different bags of tricks to pull from to get you through those difficult days. Totally. Wow. You, it puts, I, I would say it puts things in perspective, right? Oh my goodness. Yes. And, yeah. and, and now maybe, you know, one of the reasons like I, I, uh, I always hug people goodbye. Like I'm always, because you never know. Yeah. You just never, ever know. Totally. It reminds me, and I hope I haven't said that too much in this podcast, but like when we were facing a very dark day as a company where it was going to go and yeah. it was going to not be mine, I was like, well, they can't take my kids. So it's fine if I lose my company, you right. know, like right. right. at the end of the day, you have your loved ones and it builds a, you know, a strength that. Yeah. I mean, the one, you know, we all have memories of our parents, but the one that always sticks out in my mind was my mom was like, things can be replaced, but humans can't be. Totally. Did she teach you a lot about strength before she passed? Um, I think not willing, like not knowing she was, right. but, you but know. sometimes that's the best. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, we're I, not like you know, trying to teach a lesson. I mean, I still have uh, that vo voice in her head saying, you know, never burn bridges. I right. mean, it's so trite. I remember her saying in high school, meet boys so you can date their friends. And for the last five years, I've been single in New York, but I don't know any men. And I, so I hear her saying, you need to have some men friends so that you can meet their friends. <laughs> so go figure. Do you have any male friends? I mean, you have your husband, but I, there's no men here. There's no men. It's like a, it's like a male desert. <laughs> yeah. It's like we're back in the days of like where Wonder Woman came from, right? That oh island God. of all women. <laughs> except we don't have superhuman powers. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know where all the men are because I keep being told that 50% of the planet is male, but where are they hiding? I, I, I think it's an extinct species. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so you also mentioned you've had the same employees since you started. Yeah, I've had, well, three of the same, yeah. So how, what do you credit that to? Because today I feel like it is like one year and then I'm out. Yeah, well, I mean, we we make it easy. You know, people can work in their pajamas. Um, we, we are um, completely all, you know, remote. Um, I mean, we do have various memberships to uh, co-working spaces, but... It's also the work, I think, because there's passion and because, you know, especially right now in the kind of vitriol political climate we're living in, I think people want to feel they're having an impact. Um, so I, I have to I have to believe that that's it. And quite frankly, our clients are really lovely, like they are not mean and nasty. And they're also trying to do good things. So it, it just creates a more benevolent atmosphere. I yeah. mean, I'm sure there are days they want to like, you know, throw rocks at me, but (laughs) we haven't gotten there yet. (laughs) I had a day like that. I actually got really angry at three people about an email that went out that Uh I was like, why did you guys take content from last year and repurpose it for our Thanksgiving message? And then I was, one of them was like, so polite. Dear Rebecca, this is the email that you sent us on November 6th. It was was exactly what they put out. And I was like, I am so sorry. I'm an asshole. I haven't slept through the night in a year and a half. So forgive me. Yeah. Well, making babies will do that. Oh my God. Yes. But I also, I mean, you you know, treating people, treat, I mean, I often say if we treated our colleagues as good as we treated our customers, right? Because we're always ready to like our, the the people who pay us, they do no wrong. But you know, sometimes we have to realize it's the employees that make everything work. Totally. And and I never, ever want to forget that. Yep, it's true. So I like to ask my guests two questions. You probably know what they are. Something we'd be surprised to know about you. Um, well, this is kind of funny. I had Thanksgiving dinner at Kevin Bacon's house. So now you are one degree. I'm only one degree. I've always been six. <laughs> well, girl, you are now. I'm in the club. I'm actually two Thanksgivings. Yeah. One of his, his, his older sisters, uh, one of his older sisters was a dear friend of mine in Seattle. And when I moved here, I didn't know anyone. And so she said, oh, just ha- yeah. hang out with yeah. Kev. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh! And I dated one of the bad news bears in the seventies. Um, so there, there's two things. Um, and I'll just tell you a third. I'm going to Antarctica in January. That's so exciting. So that's probably three when you only wanted one. That's fine. I still <laughs> want to talk about Kevin. Yeah. Doesn't he know any nice men? <laughs> <laughs> I should. I I should reach out. <laughs> um, and then, what would be a piece of advice that either someone gave to you that you found invaluable, or mm-hmm. maybe a uh, a preview to your book that you want to pass on? Oh, boy. Well, I think I, you know, my notion about the fact of, of meaningful connections is, is something that I share with everyone. So um, I will say one of the things my dad, my daddy had told me and it stuck with me, and that is nothing is a prison sentence, of course, unless it's a prison sentence. However, I, I believe that that has enabled me along with getting through some some horrible loss, but that's enabled me to take risks. And, you know, this notion of, well, if this doesn't work, I have this, or if this and that, it's like, yes, not everyone is privileged enough to have choices. So I want to, you know, certainly make note of that. But I also believe like, if we don't open that door, we don't know what's there. Yeah. And we don't know. I mean, it is, it's all, it's in my life anyways, it's become more the detour than the destination. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's like, that is what's going to lead to the wonder that we don't know. I love that. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. For more about Susan, you can go to her website, MCP, 
www.thrivingstrategies.com and learn about how you as a company or working in a company can just begin to make incremental steps towards passionate things that you care about to help change the world. Thanks for listening as always. I appreciate every one of you. Thank you.